0: And realized it wasn't hot, so walked in and it was just you know little foyer, uh, and the foyer was sort of dark actually. But then in the sanctuary, with their dark walnut colored pews, and it was the brightest light I have ever seen in my life. It was incredible, and it was really the glory of the Lord. And then I heard the firemen say, "Oh, that's been happening there. That's no, there's no fire here." That's what they said. And it was really the presence of the Lord that had come into this church. And it was incredible. And all I remember I walked in, I saw some guy, he was laying at the back on the, on the ground. There was not a bunch of people there. There was a few people there. And the next thing I know, somebody was coming to me and saying, you know, it's time to leave now. And the presence of the Lord, you know, that glory had departed and I was laying on the floor in the back of the church, and he was just saying, it's time to leave, leave now. And I realized I had been there for hours. And I didn't even, you know, it was like time had, I had stepped out of time. And I believe, you know, that was a dream. <laughs> I believe that's what God wants to do for us, is I believe God wants to release His glory in the earth. And, you know, we, we need the glory of the Lord uh, we are we really are seeking God, Lord, what can we do? What can we do, Lord, to to allow you to come like that and touch people? Because I'm gonna tell y'all, be honest with yourself. That is the thing that's gonna ultimately change your life. It is not anything else that's gonna change your life like that. You can do all these other things and but that is the thing that's gonna change you and carry you. Um If you study the Scripture, the people after, you know, there was the people before the resurrection of Christ, and then there was the people after the resurrection of Christ. The people before the resurrection of Christ, like, for instance, John the Baptist, okay, who came to doubt Christ, okay, in prison. He came to doubt Him, even though he had seen Christ. But there's people after, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, like Paul, who said... When it came to prison, it came to torture, it came to difficulties. None of these things moved me. That was his testimony. Because they had something working in them that was above and beyond just some average, everyday, rank-and-file Christian experience. And that's really what we need. Do y'all agree with that? And we really need, desperately, the church desperately needs it. And the world desperately needs this revelation of the glory of God released upon the people of God. And we really need to be the kind of people who say, that's what we want, God. That's what we want. That's what I want. I mean, that's what I desire for all my heart. Because I realize, honestly, I have nothing to give you. I have nothing to offer you that's going to keep you. I really don't. And I realize, Lord, if you don't touch these people, if you don't reveal yourself to them, I can do everything I do. That's not going to do them no good. You know, it's what God speaks to you. It's what God does in your life. It's not what another person would try to do. It's not what you experience in a church service. You've got to have an experience with the Lord, and the Lord wants to do it. I believe. I really do. And I believe there'll come a, a time when the glory will come, and it will be so you know powerful that it'll tr- it, that's be our state. It will just get taken out of time, and, and God will do things in our life and you know, that may take a lifetime otherwise. And and that's what I really desire, is for the Lord to do that. Amen? Thank you, Lord. So, uh, open your Bibles. We'll just go on and do what God tells us to do. If He decides to come like that, we'll just get out of the way and let Him have His, you know. (laughs) That's our secret dream, by the way, is for y'all to come to church one Sunday, and uh, suddenly the Lord comes in. And just wrecks the place. I mean, wrecks it. I mean, just turns everything upside down. You know, and, and it's like you walked into an ambush. Well, I thought, you know, we were going to take up an offering today. I don't think anybody would be even crazy enough to take an offering up. It would be that powerful. You know what I'm saying? You'd have to be a fool to try to preach under that kind of, you know, presence of God. And that's really, really what we want because that's really what will affect the world. It's when God touches His people like that. Um. But that's, you know, turn to Ephesians 1. I say that already. That's, you know, Lord, please do that. Please do that, Lord. Just please move, Lord. Just speak to us, Lord Jesus. Well, you know, I've been talking to you about, you know, um, Thomas's question. Lord, how do we know the way? And just not to just wear you out. Sometimes I feel like I'm wearing people out because I repeat myself so much. But, but the Lord said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And, you know, you can't separate the way, the truth, and the life from each other. They all come together. They all come as a package. Um, So I gave you a a message about Christ being the way. In other words, Christ is the way we live our life. He was the example. And the way Jesus lived his life, he said stuff like this. I don't do anything of myself. I do nothing of myself. I don't say anything of myself. That's, you, you go back and read in the Gospel of John. He's making all these statements. Everything I say, the Father's the one who's really saying it. it's not me. Uh, the works I'm doing, I'm not doing them. It's the Father doing them in me. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And that's really the design of Christianity. God never meant us to do a blasted thing when it comes to, when it, as far as spiritual life is concerned. He meant us to do it like Jesus did it. And Jesus said, "I never, I don't do anything." And it's the Father in me. Well, Christ is that example for us. He's saying, listen, just like I did it with the Father, I'm offering that to you. I will live my life in you and through you if you will yield yourself to me and allow me to do that. That's Christ as the way. That's the way He designed our life. And then I talk to you about the truth, about there's revelation required. It's not a doctrinal knowledge of that fact that's going to do anything for you. I think there's people sitting in this room, they'll sit there and say, all day long, yes, that's right, yes, that's right, yes, and walk out and do everything they can to live the Christian life and fail. In fact, I want you to fail, I want you to fail miserably in trying to be a Christian. Because I think that's what it takes for us to come to the point, to, to come to the point where we realize we can't do it. That's the beginning. I can't do it no more. I'm tired of doing it. I'm sick of trying to be a Christian. I'm sick of trying to pray. I'm sick of trying to read the Bible. I'm sick of trying to worship the Lord. I'm sick of all of it. And if God, if you don't do something, I am gone. And I think when a person really, truly comes to that point in their life, well, they just sick of the whole thing and is ready to just boot it. I'm just going to drop keep this thing called Christianity out of my life. When you are there, you are ready to come in. You really are. Because this man, Arthur Burt, he was here a few weeks ago. He used to say this saying, is instead of going out on the knockout punch, that's when we really come in. It's when you are flat against the ropes and whipped. That's when you're ready to come into Revelation. But as long as you say, yeah, 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 I have shared this message personally with many people and they agree with me 100% down the line. I can show them Bible verse and they'll all agree with me. But very few of them, I see the light turned on in them that, where they say, oh my gosh, and I've realized the reason is, is because they are not finished themselves. They are not through themselves. They're not wore out. They're not sick. They're not tired of what they're doing. They haven't failed enough. And I prayed that every person in this room would fail miserably at being a Christian. Just fail and get it over with. Get a zero on the test. Let the professor say, you have failed and you're going to take this course again. And you would take it over and over and over until you realize, I'm never going to pass it. It took me a long time to come to that. But you've got to come by revelation. Just me saying it will not change your life. God has to say it to you. He has to reveal it to you. That's what I shared last week. Christ being the truth. You know, that He comes to us in that truth and shows us that I really am the way. I really am the way. And you see it. And when you see it, suddenly you can begin to walk in it because you have revelation on it. If you don't see it, you'll never be able to walk in it. Are y'all with me? I get excited about that, and uh, obviously, I tell you, I get excited about it because it will change your life. It will change your life, and I promise you that. If, I, if it won't change your life, if you truly will let Christ live his life through you, if that won't change you, you can come and blow my brains out. I'm serious. I will stake everything I got on it. If I was going, ga- I'll put my house on the market for it. You can have my job if it won't work, you can have it all. Because I know it will work. I'm not going to lose it. You want to stake your house against my house. I'll have two houses. I'll rent it back to you. Because I'm going to win. I know I'm going to win. Because this is what the Bible teaches us. But uh, it goes on. Paul said you've got to have revelation. That's why I had Becky pray for you all last week. That you should get revelation on this thing. Matthew shared with me uh, this week that one of the things they did at the youth ministry is he shared how those people who were with the Apostle Paul... Before he became the Apostle Paul, when he was still old sorry Saul, old carnal man, they were people with him. When he got knocked and nailed by God, we never heard a word about them people's life being changed, but, but Paul got up from there and he became a different man because suddenly revelation came into his life. God revealed Himself to him and he was never the same again. Never the same. It takes revelation and we need to pray and ask God, please give us revelation on this. God, please, or I'm just going to remain the, the fool that that I, uh, that I really am. So this week I want to talk to you about Christ Christ as our life. I'm the way, the truth, the life. And, um, you know, it's hard to talk about life, but I'm just going to stick with Paul's deal on life, okay? This is exciting to me. Um, let's read in First Corinthians or Ephesians 1 Verse 15. And remember, I said that this is an important point. Paul never prayed for the the people at Ephesus that they would receive the blessings that he talks about in Ephesians 1. He never prayed that they would. He prayed that their eyes would be open to the reality of the things they already have in Christ. That was his prayer. He was saying, You've got something, you're rich beyond measure. And I just pray you'd realize it. And every person in this room, if you have Christ, you are rich beyond measure. You do not lack nothing. And that's the truth. You lack nothing. You have it all. And I will say this, and it really is the truth. You will never get more of God than you have right this second if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and He's living in you. That is the max that God can give you. He's given you His all. The problem is we haven't realized it. And it's just like if I had $40 million buried under my house and didn't know it, and here I am struggling to make my bills. And I had $40 million. That's the way we are. We're paupers in our actions. And Paul was praying. This is interesting about the book of Ephesians. It's one of the only books that Paul wrote to a church that he wasn't addressing a problem. There's no problem in the book of Ephesians. All the other ones, you know, like at Galatians, he was saying, you guys are legalistic, you know, we need to fix it. Corinthians, oh man, he had like ten things he had to tell them they were messed up on. But here he's talking about the truth as it really is in Christ. This really is the Joshua of the New Testament. It really is the promised land book. This is who you are. This is what God has for you. It's a powerful book. And he prayed, "I Also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not to give thanks for you, making mention of you my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. So he's praying for this revelation. So we're right on the money. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. You need some revelation. Our eyes need to be enlightened. And then he goes on, he talks about these three things, that you may know what the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, those are two wonderful things. But the third one is what I want to talk about this morning is about life, L-I-F-E. Everybody knows what life is, right? Life. Here's how you know life. Go to the funeral home, look at a dead body, right? You know life by the absence of it, right? When you see a dead person, unless you're scared, <laughs> and you're so scared, you know, I was scared of dead people when I was little. I'll never forget, this is crazy, when my granddaddy died, this they were country people, so they took the body home and had the body set up in the living room and going to see him, I was a little boy, and I can remember my daddy carrying me in there, my daddy holding me in his arms to see my dad, granddaddy laid up there in that casket. And I can remember just my whole body shaking because I was so scared of this dead body. It was morbid to me. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't imagine sleeping in that house with that dead body a few feet away. I still would have a hard time with it, to tell you the truth. But this is the truth. We met an undertaker that was scared one time. I'm serious. He was hearing noises in the funeral home. I'm serious. He was hearing noises in the funeral home. He was scared. And Becky took it as to an opportunity that he needs the Lord and started talking to him about it. the Lord's trying to deal with you because you know them dead bodies can't hurt you. But we know that. We know. We know. When something's dead. You know when something... You know when the preaching is dead, right? Nobody has to tell you. You just know that's dead as a hammer. You know when worship's dead. I mean, nobody has to tell us that. So we know life by the absence of it. That's really how we know it. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? Um, so when we don't have it, we know that it's not there. Now, the opposite of life is death, Right? Opposite of life is death. And death is what? The ultimate weakness. I shared that with you one time. It's the ultimate weakness. I mean, a dead person has no strength whatsoever. A dead person has no energy, right? Now, that's important. It's just the ultimate weakness. You can't get weaker than a dead person. I mean, you could take Arnold Schwarzenegger and kill him, and you could beat him up. Anybody in this room could beat him up. Because his muscles are dead. They have no power left. They have no strength left in them. Right? So if the ultimate weakness is the ultimate lack of strength, that's what death is. All right, this is interesting. In in verse 19, this is uh, something that I was... I get these little things called prayer starters by this ministry up in the mountains, Berean Ministries. This guy's like a Greek expert. And there's these four words. This is what he prayed. This is one of the things that Paul prayed. What is the exceeding greatness of his power? Everybody say power. Toward us who believe according to the working, everybody say working, of His mighty, everybody say mighty, Mighty. power. Power. Everybody say power. Power. So there's four words there in in that. These are like four dimensions of power. Okay, and if you go on, which, which He, being God, worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Okay, so those four dimensions. Of, see, we all think we think power in a one-dimensional term. Okay, that's what we think about when we think about power. Here's what most charismatic Pentecostal preachers they think Acts one eight: you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes from upon you. That's our big revelation on power, and we're missing the other three aspects of power because these, those those four words, power. Everybody say power, which means dunamis. That's and it means the enabling power of a miracle and ability. Okay, that's, that's the first one. The other one, working, means energy. It means the energetic force from within. So that's the second one. The third one means mighty, which means muscle. Muscle power. Okay, and then power again means the power of government and dominion. So those four aspects of power were working in Christ when He was dead. Those four aspects of the power is what raised Jesus from the dead. Are you all with me? That raised him from the dead and gave him his life force to live after he was dead. You see what I'm saying? So, so this is when we talk about life. We're talking about the same life that Christ had. Christ had these four aspects of power working in him. So the Christian is supposed to have those four aspects of power working in in, in them. And I'm going to show it to you. Okay, I'm going to show it to you in two places. First one is here. He says he gives you at verse 19. Gives you those four aspects of power. And then he says, which which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Okay? And then he sort of starts, he goes off and says, and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power, so on and so forth, all the way down through the end of the chapter. He talks about what God did in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Okay? And that's wonderful. And I believe this. This is what I really believe. I believe the church has done quite well about talking about, Christ and what God did at Christ and Christ is the King. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Christ is Almighty. Now here's what the problem is: Paul didn't just stop when he was talking about that resurrection power that was working in, in Jesus. He said in verse two, I mean, in chapter two, verse one. Everybody look at that. It's like he he's talked about the resurrection power and then he jumped off and talked about what it did in Christ and then he comes back to us and did, because he says. And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And you He made alive. In other words, what Paul was saying is this resurrection power, these four dimensions of power that worked in Christ when He was raised from the dead, and this is what all that happened to Christ, this is what God did, and then He jumps back to us and says, And you. In other words, he was saying this same power that was at work in Christ, God has released it to the Christian. And that is good news. That should be the best. Y'all don't believe that, do you? <laughs> so when God raised Christ from the dead, He raised us from the dead. That's the truth. He raised us from the dead. So the power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that's working in us. The power that gives Christ His life force, His energy, His power is the same thing that's working in us. That's what really Paul was trying to say there. And that's really what the grace of God is. Isn't that the grace of God? That God did something in Jesus, reached into the tomb, released this dynamic power into Jesus, and raised Him up. And, And at the same time, He said, not only Him, but you. That's grace. When we talk about grace, it's God saying, I'm going to put the power that was in Christ, I'm going to put it in and on you. And that's why I say we're like a bunch of paupers because we've got the same thing that Jesus had. Absolutely. Turn over to Romans. Let me just read it one more of places. Y'all don't believe this. We need revelation on this to see this. Romans, where is Romans at? It's after Acts. Are y'all excited this morning? Let me read this, Romans 6, verse 4 and 5. This is powerful. Now, most people's Bibles, if you've got a good Bible, like mine is, there are certain fonts in your Bible. You know what a font is? Everybody knows what fonts are. You have a computer, you can pick Times New Roman, but then you can do this little angle thing on it, this ah, italic. Well, there's things in the Bible that's italic. That's italic. Do you know what that means? Italicized. That means this. Those words in your Bible, if your Bible's any good, that are italicized, are not in the original language. Okay? The translators added those to try to make some clarity to what you're reading. And in some cases, it works good. In some cases, it doesn't work good. I wish they'd just let the things out, my personal opinion. But let's read Romans 6, and I'll show you this, 4 and 5. It says, Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. That's cool. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death... Okay, now let's, let's, let's talk about the likeness of His death. You know what that means? That he's talking about the likeness. Likeness there means Representation. That's what? Water baptism, right? That's, that's what he's talking It's a likeness. It's not the actual thing. I didn't physically get up there on the cross with Jesus. But what I did do, I was put in the, in the lake, and I was, I had a, there was a likeness. There was a representation that I was, I was dead, I was buried, and I was resurrection, resurrected. Okay? And that's what Paul's saying when he's saying we've been placed in, into his death as a likeness. Okay? For we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Okay? Now, if you're in your Bible, this is the way, this is the way it literally reads in the Greek. For we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be, be of resurrection. There ain't no likeness there, like there was with the baptism, without the likeness of His death. What it, are y'all getting that? There's no likeness. He's saying there's no representation of us being of resurrection. He's saying this you may have been baptized and that's just a likeness. And and the Bible saying that's cool, that's the way you do it when it comes to the death end. But when it comes to the life end, when it comes to the resurrection end, those words likeness should not be in your Bible. Because it is not a likeness. Paul was saying, No, it's a reality. It's a reality. It's no likeness. It's no copy. It's no imitation. Just like Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that same power is resident in you. And I know what you're sitting there thinking. You're sitting there thinking, this. well, I don't have that power in my life." Well, I'll tell you, you do have that power in your life. We all have it. Just like if I had forty million dollars, somebody came to me, Byron, you got forty million dollars. I would laugh at it. I don't even have forty dollars at this moment. You know. I would laugh at them because I, would, I wouldn't believe I had it. But the Bible is clearly stating to us, we have the resurrection power of Christ resident inside of us. Yet we're walking around the most powerless, helpless, dumb-acting people in the world. That's why God says we're like sheep, because sheep are just a bunch of dumb animals. They need somebody to tell them, you've got something! Wake up! And that's what the grace of God does for you. It says you've got some life in you. Tap into that life. Are y'all with me? I don't usually get this excited. (laughs) This is what it says in Romans 8.11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That's what Romans eight eleven says. So we all share Christ's life. It's not two lives, and that's our problem. We see Christ as having a life, and us as having a life. It's two lives. Well, there's Christ's life, there's my life, and we think, oh, how wonderful Jesus is, and how great Jesus is, how powerful Jesus is. We don't see ourselves being in Him. Hey, the life He's got, I got. It's mine. In fact, this is what John Wesley. Everybody know who John Wesley is? He's a great man from history. You know, started the Methodist Church. Powerful man. This is, he said, the moment I see myself and Christ as separate, I'm doomed to failure. And I just want to say something. What, that is why the church is failing. Because we see Jesus up here high and lifted up. He's wonderful. And He is. But He's saying, listen, what I have, you have. Because my Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is in you. And it's alive in you. And you've got to start seeing it that way. You've got to start believing that. That's the only way that it'll work. It, it, it doesn't work if you don't believe it. It just won't work. It, it works by faith. We receive it by faith. And he's saying you've got to tap into this. So, um, here's what I want to do. <clears throat> if, if I've convinced you, it's, it's at least real biblically. What I'm saying. Okay, well, you prove it to me that it's in the Bible, uh, you know, but, you know, I don't still don't have this power operating in my life. Um, let's look at just. I just want to look at those four things just to sort of help you. Because when I'm saying we're just a bunch of dumb animals, I'm saying me. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying you, y'all messed up. I'm saying me's messed up. I'm saying me is not walking in this. Okay? I'm not walking in the resurrection power. Is that right, Chuck? <laughs> Chuck's helping me. First one, let's, let's look at Acts one eight just so everybody, just in case you don't know about it. Chuck witnesses. Hey, it's the truth. <laughs> uh, these are the four words that I gave you back there in, in uh, Ephesians. You know, power, w- working, mighty, and power. Those four aspects... That operated in Christ. Now, I'll tell you, if you don't believe this, in fact, whether you believe it or not, you go home and study. You go get your concordance, whatever you got, and you do it. Or you go, you know, go ask some so-called expert. I'm not claiming to be an expert. All right, this is the one everybody uses in the This is the first one. This is the word that means dynamite, dunamis. You shall receive power. Everybody knows that. We're all into that. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's the same word, the first word that Paul used there in Ephesians when he said power. It's that dynamo power that God gives us. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the stated purpose is this power for witnessing, this power for doing. Here's a good definition. Dynamic power of the resurrection. This is dunamis. It's the enabling power of miracle and ability. It's the power to do. That's the first element of power God released. Is the power to do, to do something. There's power been released in the resurrection for you to do. Now, we think in the church, and, we, and let me just say this: what I tell you, we erroneously think it is only power to serve, and we erroneously think that because of this one verse in the Bible, Acts one eight. Well, it says that you shall receive power, and then you'll be a witness. Right. So we think. That kind of power is for church, that kind of power is for doing missions, it's for a service for doing missions work. And that is a big, fat lie. It's not the truth. It's, it is that, but it's not just that. Turn over to Second Corinthians 12. Y'all with me? This really blessed me when I started seeing all this, and I just got to go beyond the blessing. Second Corinthians 12. And this is Lindsay. Up here doing, I ask her to do that to draw a picture. Then we're gonna see what she drew it in, because you know a picture's worth a thousand words, isn't it? Isn't that right? God likes people who have artistic ability that can you know express themselves like that. We need to do more of that, not just in worship. I think just all the time in the church, you know. So she just does what she does. She don't do, you know, I didn't tell her to do anything, but just draw whatever she felt. Second Corinthians 12, verse 9. This is a famous scripture. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. All right. First of all, the word strength there. My strength is made perfect in weakness. That strength is that same word I just read to you in Acts 1-8. You shall receive power. It's the dunamis. It's the dynamo. So here's what's happening. God is giving Paul some revelation beyond Acts 1-8. He's showing Paul, listen, let me tell you more about this thing that happened on the day of Pentecost. Because it says, another thing it says, this is a power that's upon us. Okay, it says it right there. "...that the power of Christ may rest upon..."